gotta claim it. Hi, this is Christy Bennett, and you're listening to Nerd Mountain, where I talk to musicians about lesser-known artists and the things they nerd out about. Today's guest is Canadian vocalist Darlene Cooper. Thanks for joining me today, Darlene. Can you tell me a little bit about your musical background? I've been a musician, I guess, since uh, my teens in that I started teaching piano way back. But before that, I um, was inspired by my grandmother, who was a singer and a songwriter. And so I started singing when I was three in church situations. My dad was the minister back then. And then had my first solo, I think, when I was 11. And uh, just uh, fell in love with, first of all, sort of the gospel, the black gospel uh, music of... um, People like Andre Crouch and Danny Bell Hall and Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was kind of, I cut my teeth on that. And then I was a singer and, and taught and then moved on to be a teacher in a um, college situation where I uh, developed and designed a music program for a two-year program and a four-year program. And in there, I <laughs> got married, had children. <laughs> Uh, all the while uh, doing this, the teaching I did, um, got into the college teaching once my son got into grade one, my youngest, um, but needed, came to a point where I needed to do some creative for me. I was feeling like everything was admin oriented and focused on the students, which was great. I loved that, but I realized I'd come to a point where I needed some of uh, the creative input again and I started to write and one of the instructors who was the who taught the production classes and the recording classes uh, asked me if I would consider doing a CD and uh, so after a year of him bugging me I, <laughs> I decided to do that and uh, that sort of launched an, an older career <laughs> So I was over 50 when I did that. Got back into uh, playing again. I joined the Marcus Mosley Chorale and ended up uh, becoming choral director for that and meeting Bill. And um, then we began to write together and I began to move more into the jazz. I'd been more funk gospel, but I love jazz as well too, so I always had my foot sort of into it, but uh, got a little more heavily into that, and uh, did my one CD, and then Bill and I had written enough songs that we decided to also uh, do a CD, and create a band, and then, yeah, just uh, developed uh, uh, with the writing and, and, and performing again, and um, to the point where we started this last album, which is uh, uh, Jazz Standards, so got a little heavier into the jazz round vocally, and uh, it was really fun to actually take that time to develop my voice in some ways that I hadn't before. Cool. Man, I'm, I'm glad that I got that. Like, that's actually more than I <laughs> knew about you. I didn't know your whole story, so that's great. And the-
similar to the person that you chose for the artist you wanted to focus on. So you selected Eleanor Collins, um, and mm-hmm. you're Canadian, and Eleanor is also Canadian. You're both yes. mm-hmm. made music and mm-hmm. make music in um, Vancouver. So what made you choose Eleanor? Um, when she was, I had not heard of her before 2014. So in 2014, I was a choral conductor for the Marcus Mosley Chorale. I've been doing that for a year or two then. And every year we do a Black History Month concert, a big concert with a mass choir, and we have special guests come in. And Marcus knew of Eleanor, and he suggested we have her come and uh, sing. So I didn't know much about her, and Bill had gone to her home, and and he rehearsed with her because he was going to be accompanying her. And then on the night of the performance, I mean, I remember seeing her come on, and and she looked fragile. I knew that she was 94, and I thought, oh, wow, you know. um, She came up on stage, and she sang, It's Not Easy Being Green. And she sang it with she knew what her voice could do and what it couldn't do and at 94 she had the notes that would soar and then she would speak a bit and she it was a whole lesson in in performance practice really and and we were all just stunned I think I I was very stunned at 94 she could wow just hold a crowd and sing these notes very inspiring especially because I started a little later (laughs) not that late but (laughs) later (laughs) So to see someone at 94 still being able to carry an audience, carry the song, and passionate. Uh, so I heard her there, was very impressed. And then the following year, she came back again at 95, and she uh, was awarded that year the Order of Canada, which is a, a very high order. And she sang Here's to Life. And to have someone who has lived... <laughs> so long at 95 years old singing here's to life that I still want to give I still want to learn I want to be part of the game I want to dream I'm not dead yet (laughs) I'm gonna live my life as fully as I can right to the last come skidding in at the end it was very, very inspiring. I think I, I know I was in tears many people were in tears the crowd just went crazy it was very, very moving, and that stuck with me. Her, her, just her uh, uh, desire to live life as full as she can, every moment, every day, as for as long as she's got, and that music was a big part of that. Yeah, it's really incredible, mm-hmm. and that she's she's still alive. She's a hundred and two years old. Is, she is. crazy. Yeah, she just had her 102nd birthday like a week ago. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, and she lives on her own. She lives independently still. And her daughter told me that she is still looking for new recipes, finding new healthy recipes with her granddaughter. She loves to do that. 
and that some of her influences musically are people that have uh, inspired her recently is Jacob Collier and <laughs> and Zaki Ibrahim. Let's talk a little bit about, let's just talk about her story, you know, where she started and how she became one of Canada and certainly Vancouver's most famous singers. Yeah, I guess her family um, came from, I think it's Oklahoma area. It was down in the States and uh, they came up as homesteaders. So Canada had offered land. If you would come and develop land, they offered land parcels to people to uh, come in and populate the country. And uh, so her family came up and were homesteaders in Edmonton, uh, Alberta, sort of on the prairie, the you know beginning beginnings of the prairie area in Canada. And that's where she grew up. And um, she had quite a musical family. I there were stories of her uncle getting the, everybody singing and singing harmony parts. And that, uh, you know, he, he kept a fairly tight ship <laughs> when it came to uh, their singing, their harmony parts and knowing what they were singing and singing. Yeah, correctly. not just like a casual, fun family activity. But this was, yeah, this was not wheels <laughs> no. on the bus. This was serious. And you better know your part. That's right. Music is serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I think maybe growing up with that sort of dedication and regimented practice, being a part of your association with music, that was just a part of music for her. And she didn't have to push herself to do that. It's just what she did. Yeah, it was then. She had a good year right from the beginning. So she so she probably did well <laughs> Yeah. in that regards with the family. <laughs> she had won a uh, talent contest I think at the age of 15 that kind of reminds me a little bit of Nancy Wilson who also in that teenage years kind of got noticed and yeah Nancy Wilson is actually um the person that I saw I mean it's probably been seven seven plus years ago now but I've seen her perform live and she still sounds amazing just totally amazing yeah Oh, I know. I'm, yeah, she's a huge influencer of mine. <laughs> I love Nancy. Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in college and I was studying classical voice and getting a little burnt out on the rep that I was working on, and I was being introduced by friends to a bunch of new jazz albums and stuff, the Nancy Wilson Cannonball Adderley album. I can still remember like walking down the street near my apartment at night, listening to that album yes. and just thinking, why am I not doing this? It just reminded me of everything I love about music and singing. Yeah. Yeah. I know my husband, Bill, he, that was his first jazz album was mm. Cannonball Adderley with uh, Nancy Wilson. Yeah. Such a great album. I'm afraid the masquerade is over. Oh. And so is love And so is love It's all over 
But anyway, back to Eleanor. Um, yes. I'm realizing too, I don't think we mentioned that um, she is a black singer. There was a story of um, just her sheer will when she was like seven years old, a teacher in the classroom made some kind of disparaging racist comments and she stormed out of the classroom. She like put her foot down as a seven-year-old, which I think is also just a real testament to, I think anytime I'm researching people and I'm trying to like piece together their spirit, I guess, I'm always looking for little nuggets like that. And I think when you're seven years old and you're, you have the will and the nerve to stand up for yourself that way, it's really incredible. And a theme that unfortunately affected her later in life as well. That's right. When she moved to Vancouver, she met her husband, uh, Dick Collins, Richard Collins. They settled in Burnaby, BC, which is actually, I lived there a number of years, but when they moved into the neighborhood, there was resistance in the neighborhood. They'd started a petition because she was going to be, they were going to be the first black family. Yes, that's right. And uh, she did have to deal with that. And her way of dealing with it was to get into the community so that people would get to know her. She taught music at her kid's school. She got involved in the school. And she felt that if people got to know you, if people put a face uh, and, a, and a person into the whole picture, they would, it would help them get over the right. prejudice to realize that people are people. And we're all human beings with beating hearts and the same desires. And yeah, and so she decided her way was get involved, get involved and be in people's faces and, and get to know them and help them get to know you and realize that, uh, you know, this prejudice is, is, and racial uh, issues are, are really uh, in people's minds. And another, yeah, just a testament to not letting those sorts of things get her down, which would be a very human thing to do. That's pretty horrible. So they moved to um, Burnaby, B.C., and then in 1945, it sounded like she was visiting a friend at the radio station. I felt like I was reading. It was a very casual thing. And she ended up, she just happened to be there on the day that Ray Norris's group was looking for a singer. And she ended up getting the job and kind of the rest was history. So she just kind of walked into an opportunity and then was just really good, really talented. Yeah, I think anything that I, I read about her, everyone said her talent was undeniable. Like multiple articles from different points in her career, it was just like her talent was undeniable. If she was in a show, people would talk about her performance, no matter how small the performance. Yeah, and she'd been, before that time, she had still been doing music all along. I think she was in a group with her sister and some friends, or the Swing Low Chick Quartet, and they're singing African-American spirituals as well. So she was, yeah, she was 
involved in music. Yeah. And in the spirit of Americans don't know enough about Canada, can you tell me a little bit about the CBC? Mm -hmm. CBC is our national broadcasting corporation and in uh, both in radio and in television. Um, it's sort of like the BBC, <laughs> but uh, Canadian. Uh, so Canadian content is the focus. Canadian news, uh, Canadian artists, Canadian culture is the focus of their programming. They have others as other things as well, but that's always been the um, focus. Unfortunately, in the last few years, with budget cuts, a lot of that programming has been cut out, which is which is yeah very sad for the artistic community. Is uh, they used to have their own studios and they have their own orchestra and that's gone now. Um, but back then it was a very much uh, the thing pulling Canada together because it's so large. <laughs> so you needed some sort of, uh, so with the radio and the, and the uh, television, it brought together artists all across the country and, and highlighted their, their music and their art. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for the summary. Well, and I think that's an interesting sort of backdrop for her career because she never recorded commercially, which is a massive bummer. I'm like trying to find recordings of her and there's nothing. Her, actually, the people that she performed with too, it sounds like Ray Norris, who was a very well-known um, jazz guitarist at the same time, and Chris Gage, who was a very well-known jazz pianist at the time. None of them recorded commercially. No. No, I think a lot of the recordings they do have are in the uh, CBC archives. That's where everything is. In fact, a radio host, Paolo, last name, he just uh, did a um, special on uh, Eleanor and he found some recordings in the archives. That's how he uh, was able to play her on the radio. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so not too many people have access to that. So that would be something sure would be lovely to, uh, you know, have that if somebody would take those and create some. They are doing a legacy project through Ottawa, which is our nation's capital. So there's something, uh, National Archives or something. That's awesome. I'll definitely be keeping an ear out for finding it. She also did a couple of... Productions for Tuts. Can you tell me what Tuts is? Yeah, so Tuts is Theater Under the Stars. It, it takes place in uh, Malcolm Bowl of, uh, in uh, Stanley Park. It's the big park in Vancouver. And it's been going for a very long time. It, every summer they have two musicals running alternately each day. And um, so she was part of that production. So, so yeah, I, I, I don't know how long... Tuts has been going, but obviously quite a while. <laughs> yeah, that was in 52 and 53. So she was really groundbreaking through her work on the CBC. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? She was a part of like the first mixed race production on television. That's right. A musical called Bamboola. Yeah, yeah Carib Caribbean yeah, flavored production. Yeah. Yeah. So just like breaking ground every step of the yeah. way yeah yeah it was probably her um performance on that 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 caught their attention and said oh mm -hmm. we should make, you know, have a actual show Whoa. 
Yeah, she was um, asked to uh, do a, they wanted to do a feature program, jazz program, um, and call it Eleanor, which is very weird because they didn't normally use people's names. It was the first time, I think, in North America that it used a name. And But she was asked to have her own television program and television show called The Eleanor Show. And it was in 1955. And being a woman of color, well, a woman and a woman of color, <laughs> two things, had not been done before. So that was very groundbreaking. Um, she had her show, I think, before anybody of color in North America. So that's including the States. She beat Nat Cole. She did. She beat Nat Cole. Yeah, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. of a new series of summer shows to be seen here every weekend at the same time. Our location is here in Studio 41, Vancouver, a place that I hope you'll enjoy visiting every Sunday. So that was a huge breakthrough. I, you know, I'm not sure totally what was happening in the U.S. at that time, but it was certainly not something I think that would have happened <laughs> there and and you know surprising even here yeah i read that she had said with the eleanor show with all of you know racial tensions being what they were at the time that it was sort of like her idea with going to her children's school in the face of just horrible racism she was like if we're, if i'm just on the, the television every day for 30 minutes or every week for 30 minutes people just get used to you so it was like just make this a part of the norm yeah yeah, yeah. Which I have to say, yeah. too, is like just such a patient approach. <laughs> yeah, I've not I've not heard anyone who quite had that sort of. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. She mm -hmm. seemed maybe she just hit it well, but she seemed very her anger is not a part of her actions when it would be very warranted um, to be a part of her actions. But everything was just like a very patient approach to I'm just going to let you get used to it. Like, this is where people are at. Okay, mm -hmm. let's find a way to help them move forward, <laughs> move beyond this, um, you know, and uh, by just kind of making it, like you said, making it normal, making it um, kind and, uh, yeah, and encouraging people just to, to accept uh, something new, something fresh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she'd had lots of experience, and she'd you know been playing in some of the clubs as well, and uh, so she was involved in music all the way along, even though her focus was her family, raising her children, and uh, she she turned down a lot of things, like in the states. I think she had many offers for her to come down and, and sing there, but she decided to focus on her kids and her family. She had four kids. You know, it's just sort of like, you know, she loved music, but it wasn't, she didn't need to be famous. She didn't need to be chasing, you know, every offer or feel like, oh, I got to do this because, you know, for my marketing or for my promo or <laughs> to keep in the limelight. 
it didn't matter to her. Music is just part of who she was. Yeah, she was content, it seemed like, and still is. Yes, yeah. We asked her to sing again after that, uh, those two years in a row. And she said, oh, I think I've, I don't think I have anything more to say uh, there right, you know, right now. I wow. I think I've said it. <laughs> Can you imagine turning down a gig that way? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, at this point, there's not a lot of situations where I can imagine turning down a gig. No. But turning down a gig and being like, no, I think I've said what I what I came here to say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's just such an incredible, as I say, she just seems like so yeah. zen. Yes, yeah, totally. For all of this, so yeah. zen. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like she was even offered, I think it was right after the Eleanor show, she got mm. an offer to do another show on the other coast. Mm, right. And she turned it down because she was like, it would have been time away from my family. And I was happy doing the show and right. I wanted the break. And her career has been like a little bit here and then a little bit there and then a little bit there, but never everything in moderation. Yeah, not chasing the fame or the uh, marketing. Or yeah. Any of that. Yeah. Quite refreshing. <laughs> that is enviable. Yeah, she was known. Um, they called her uh, Canada's answer to Ella Fitzgerald. I don't know if you, uh, yeah, so she was, she was very loved in Canada and called her the first lady of jazz. Well, and I told you, I picked up that book Live at the Cellar about mm -hmm. a famous jazz club in Vancouver. And um, yeah. basically every mention of her, I've just like gone through it a little bit, but basically every mention of her talks about how she was like the most famous jazz singer at the time. Like she was the biggest name that was playing in this place. And part of that, which I thought was really fascinating too, because it kind of gives you an idea of what the scene was at that time period, 50s and 60s, I guess, that anyone who was on CBC ended up being a really big name and could draw a huge crowd consistently. So the steady dates anywhere were given to those artists. Right because they'd pack the house regardless, Ooh. yeah. which is so interesting yeah. to have. I mean, to be fair, when you're talking about she didn't do much marketing, she didn't have no. to, she was on TV. <laughs> she didn't know that's I true. Own show, I'd stop messing with Facebook too, you know? Yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> which is kind of incredible. But I mean, CBC was like, it's a government supported thing and mm -hmm. they were supporting Canadian artists. And then mm -hmm. the scene, was supporting Canadian artists and the artists were supporting the scene and bringing people out. Like what a great system. Yeah. Like everybody's kind of yeah. winning from this. Everybody's mm -hmm. getting more work. Um, yeah. The only downside I can see is that they didn't end up getting to record commercially. Like they could have, but it seems like they just Yeah. Didn't. Yeah. I, d I don't know why that was, but yeah, CBC had their own studios and occasionally they would put out recordings but um, I guess, yeah, they would record the shows and just put them in archives. And whether that was somebody just never, you know, thought one day we'll do that. Yeah. Or, like, is this like a Prince move? You've just got like a vault somewhere yeah. with all this incredible yeah. material that no one's going to get to hear. I know. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah. I would love to have an Eleanor Collins record. Like, I would love to have her on vinyl. Yeah, me too. You know? Yeah, absolutely.
good transition into talking about your upcoming album, which is going to be out on vinyl. Yeah, we just got our uh, test pressing and we've been listening to them. So it's, yeah, it's very cool. Have this vinyl <laughs> and you're actually on the vinyl. Um, yes, our new album is uh, You and I. It's an intimate and personal recording of a number of jazz standards, mostly jazz standards. There's two original songs that we wrote that kind of fit the same vibe. It's much more of a ballad-oriented uh, recording because it's a romantic album. It's a love album. It um, has a little bit of our love story, but other love stories in it as well. So there's songs like Nearness of You and there's um, It Had to Be You and one that we especially a couple of we especially wanted to do which is one uh an older man is like a elegant wine because bill's a few years i he always is a few years i would say a number of years <laughs> older than me <laughs> we've got uh some and that was nancy wilson that did that one as well as there's a song that says uh, i wish i met you uh, when it, when we were 17 so we met later in life you know so you always wonder what could have been like I wish I'd met you when we were 17 think of how Wasted all those years in between, and then we also were really impressed by Jacob Collier's, but the uh, newer, modern, I guess, uh, influence on this album was his version of You and I, Stevie Wonder's You and I. And when we were looking at what to call the album, you and I just seemed to be the right thing. And then we was like, oh, well, that great song. We have to do that great song. So, so we put that on as well. And uh, we found uh, an art piece that hangs on our wall uh, for the cover art. And it's by a renowned Vancouver artist named Joe Average. And the piece is two leopards, a male and a female. And uh, it's called Unconditional Love. And that just really grabbed our attention, too, because uh, that's something we believe in and feel that our world needs. <laughs> so we've got this wonderful artwork and this intimate recording. That theme of unconditional love is a very Eleanor theme. Mm -hmm. Find that quote from her. She said, I try to be in a mental place of gratitude for the blessing that is my life. My advice is to just keep yourself going one day at a time and laugh as much as possible. And of course, love, love, love. Yeah. 
think it also ties into another part of your album with the artwork, additionally supporting others around you. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so we, we called up Joe Average, the artist, and asked him if we could use his piece. And he kindly said, yes, you can use it. Uh, he gave us permission, free of charge. So we said, you know, we would like to give to your favorite charity a portion of each of the uh, sales of the CDs and, and vinyl. And we asked him to pick one, and it's called uh, A Loving Spoonful. And uh, so we have since connected with them. And their whole focus is food. They, they provide food for people with uh, HIV and they tailor it to, because sometimes people have eating issues or mouth issues, you know, so they tailor the food. They want to make it nutritional and healthy. They tailor it to those, their situations, but not just HIV. They also uh, provide meals now for other uh, people with other diseases, as well as they were uh, during COVID providing meals for people who were quarantined as well. So they're a great organization. Their tagline is sort of food and compassion and love, love, love. <laughs> so it just seemed to fit because we love food. We love cooking and uh, new recipes and uh, feeding people. And that combined with uh, compassion and love just really fit with our philosophy as well. So it's a great fit all around. Absolutely. And then we like to always discuss a little bit of your own personal nerd mountain. So the thing that you really geek out about. My nerd mountain is probably got to be theory, theory and charts. <laughs> I, uh, I love getting, I both Bill and I do love getting our charts to be perfect. You know, so it's always, there's always a tweak. It's like, oh, oh one little note out of place or a word out of place, you know, or the, the uh, chord got to be right on top you know so it's we we laugh because we're always tweaking our charts constantly but theory is my yeah geek mountain I think or nerd mountain I I love theory I love teaching other people theory because so many people hate theory and find it such a drudgery and so my challenge is to try and excite people my students when I you know was teaching at the college I I love trying to find ways to make theory interesting, to make it practical, to connect it to what they were doing. So they realized it was like just getting a palette, you know, as an artist has their palette of various colors and tone. It, that's what we're doing with theory, that it's just giving us tools to expand and be able to express what's in our head and get it out of there. <laughs> it's a language and it's not about how musical you are uh, it's not a you know if you're good at the theory oh you're a good musician not necessarily it's just that theory is gives us the tools and language to do what's already in us <laughs> yeah that's great I wish I had had a teacher that was that enthusiastic about teaching <laughs> music theory earlier in life that would have been nice <laughs> yeah no I know it is uh it, it is one of those areas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I from, totally. I think from both perspectives, I know plenty of teachers, and I think I've studied with plenty of teachers that hate having to teach that part of it. Mm -hmm. And it's great that you are excited to do that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Let's see, is there anything else that you wanted to cover about the album or Eleanor or? Definitely, I don't know if I'd mentioned that 
we uh, put Here's to Life on the album. Yeah, because of hearing Eleanor and being so inspired by her. Oh, no, you didn't. That's great. Hearing her rendition of Here's to Life moved me so deeply that I wanted to learn this song. I hadn't sung this song before. So we added it to our repertoire and definitely wanted to put it on the album because it says so much about when you've lived a certain amount of time and you're getting to the, say, the last third of your life, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> what encouraged me was that in that song, it talks about wanting to live life fully and still dream and still learn. And it talks about giving all you got, giving to others. There's just so much of it, dreaming your dreams, that life is wonderful and we could grab it and take the opportunity to live it as fully and as lovingly and kindly as we can. Here's to life. Let's take that life that we have and make the best of it that we can. Do what we can to make this world a better world and encourage and spread joy and love to the people around us. And uh, that's how Eleanor lived. That's how I want to live. <laughs> so that's the thing I wanted to mention is that still be learning no matter what, because sometimes as you get older, you think, oh, maybe I'm done or do I have anything left to say? And it's tempting at any age, really. We go through those times of ups and downs, but to realize every moment we have in life is a gift and to use it well, to, to live fully every moment, to actually be in the moment and live it. That's what I got from, from her and uh, want to pass on. <laughs> yeah, definitely a part of her legacy. this episode include articles from BC Black History Awareness Society, CBC News, Vancouver Sun Magazine, Weekend Magazine, Edmonton Journal, and Vanalog, a history-themed blog, as well as Live at the Cellar by Marianne Jago.